Let's bow together. Father, we are so thankful for your great love for us that uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And your great love that we are the children of God and such we are. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing this about through the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ, your son. And Father, I thank you that uh, you used your word to uh, call us unto yourself to reveal our sin and your son, Jesus, the Savior. And Father, you also used your word to build us up in respect to salvation. And so we thank you for this opportunity to be built up in your word. And I pray you would do so through your word, by your spirit this morning, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I heard a statistic that uh, 65% of Americans claim to be Christians. Well, that about 12 years ago, that used to be 78%. Well, it's gone down quite a bit. But if you think about that, that's kind of odd. Because it doesn't seem like uh, 65% of all Americans are obeying and following Christ in their day-to-day work, in their day-to-day actions, in their day-to-day life. It doesn't seem that way. Now, this is not new. The Lord Jesus would say to the Jews, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? We see in John chapter uh, 2, 1 John 2, we read this earlier, that we know that we've come to, actually, we didn't read it earlier, but we will read it now. We've come to know that we, and by this we've, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, that's speaking of Jesus, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. says here, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So there's a lot of people who claim to believe and follow Jesus Christ, but yet their actions betray their confession of faith. Now, the modern evangelical seeker movement hasn't helped this matter in any way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, charlatans posing as pastors uh, do not confront sin. Uh, They allow it to run rampant in churches. They don't preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They preach a Jesus that will heal you for this life, really only, it seems like. And the reality is we have many false converts uh, converted from a false gospel. So many people claim to be following Jesus Christ. And that leads us to what we're going to see today from the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to see and have the question, so you think you are following Jesus? And Ezekiel is going to unveil self-deception and its eternal consequences. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, praise the Lord Uh, This will build us up. This will help us understand his truth. We'll be thankful for what God has saved us from. But if you claim the name of Jesus Christ and there has been no true change because you haven't been saved, then today's passage is eternally important for you. And I encourage you and exhort you to pay attention carefully. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 33 and verses 21 to 33. And if you'd turn there. Now, if you were with us 16 years ago when we went through the book of Ezekiel, that was a while ago. I was adding up the numbers. That's quite a while ago. 
16 years ago, you know and probably remember the context. But let me just review it for you because the book of Ezekiel is extremely important. Uh, it's extremely important to understand the context. The context helps us interpret the book rightly. Now, what's interesting is we're going to see that Ezekiel has to do with the, uh, the Israelites and the time, as we'll see in a moment, during the siege of Jerusalem and that time as people were being taken captive and all that. And we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, which is later on in which we had the return from that captivity. But let's backtrack the clock from Nehemiah and let's take a look back here. Now, you might remember in Deuteronomy 28, Moses at 1405 B.C. on the plains of Moab makes it clear to the children of Israel, inspired by the Spirit, God through Moses, that if they disobeyed in the context of their covenant with the Lord, they would be severely disciplined and expelled from the promised land. And unfortunately, Scripture reveals that Israel continued to disobey God over and over and over again. And even though the prophets continued to warn of God's impending judgment, they continued to disobey. Now, after the kingdoms were divided because of Solomon's sin, we see that even though the prophets continued to warn of impending judgment, in, in 722, in accordance with God's discipline, the northern kingdom, that's Israel, was taken captivity by the Syrians, in Syrians, taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And the same was looming on the horizon for the southern kingdom, Judah. And concerning Judah, they continued to disobey God over and over again, even though the prophets continued to warn them of impending judgment. And warning of impending judgment. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar here, we see in 605 B.C., uh, the rising superpower seized Jerusalem and took a set of captives to Babylon. This included Daniel and his friends. Uh, then in 597 B.C., we see that Jerusalem was sieged again. And at that time, 10,000 captives were taken. And from that, we had Ezekiel taken and these 10,000 captives. And then from 588 to 586 B.C., for 18 months, Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem again, and unfortunately the siege ended in total destruction of the temple and the walls. Jerusalem were torn down, and the majority of those in Judah were slaughtered. Now, the book of Ezekiel is centered around this third and final siege. Uh, this final, this, this, the first 24 chapters uh, span a period of approximately eight years. Uh, in which Ezekiel prophesies to the exiles of the coming judgment upon God's people from God himself. This was the same uh, judgment that Jeremiah was prophesying about while in the land at the same time. So the first 24 chapters are about this coming judgment. It's approximately eight years that Ezekiel is sharing this. And you might remember that God shares through Ezekiel, the soul that sins will die. The soul that sins will die. And so from the grand vision of Christ on the throne, directing judgment and, and declaring it, we see in chapter 1, through the commission of Ezekiel, uh, the weird sermons that God used to illustrate what God would do to Jerusalem, to blunt and clear communications to repent. Uh, God graciously did not desire the death of anyone of the wicked, but rather that they would repent 
and live. That rather they would repent and live. And then in chapters 24 through 32, uh, we have prophecies during the 18-month siege against the nations that surrounded Jerusalem, the nations that surround during that uh, time. These prophecies were during this 18-month siege. So you had, first of all, the first 24 chapters were, prophet, were, 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 were concerning judgment coming. And then in chapters 25 through 32, these were prophecies during that 18-month siege. And they were prophecies against the surrounding nations, which had been a thorn in Israel's flesh, those nations that they were actually supposed to uh, kill because of their wickedness they were, and take the land. But they did not do that. We also see that there's prophecies against Egypt, which was always a thorn in Israel's flesh because uh, Israel would trust in Egypt rather than in the Lord God. And so then we come to chapter 33, where we begin the latter section of the book, which God begins uh, to reveal Israel's redemption. You have the prophecies of judgment. You have the prophecies of judgment against the nations around. And now you have the beginning of God revealing his redemptive work to uh, and regarding Israel. Now, in the beginning of chapter 33, we have Ezekiel's recommission. This happened earlier. But he's, re, he's, com, he's commissioned again as the watchman. And a watchman was one who was tasked with warning about something. And if he didn't warn, the blood would be on the watchman's hands. But if he did warn, and those who, uh, who heard didn't respond, the blood is on their hands. And so he's recommissioned in the beginning of chapter 33. And within that, he is to warn, speaking God's words, to warn whom God chooses that he warns of the coming judgment for sin. And as I said, if he didn't do that, the blood would be on his hands. Uh, Ezekiel uh, was then clearly warned, uh, was to clearly warn those who recognized that God did have a right to judge, as we're going to see, and those who thought that their righteousness would save them. He was to warn them too. You see, some people believe God has a right to judge. Yeah, he needs to judge. But they don't realize they're in their sins. They're going to be judged. Some people think that their own righteousness will save them, but they must be warned also because it is only through the righteousness of Christ. And then we come to a point in Ezekiel where we hear that the city of Jerusalem has fallen. And we're given some more examples of what the watchman is to share. And that's what we're going to see today. And so the question is, so you think you are following Jesus? So you think you are following Jesus? But today, God through Ezekiel is going to unveil self-deception and its eternal consequences. We are easily self-deceived. We are easily self-deceived. The heart is deceitful. Above all, it's wicked. Above all, it's deceitful, right? We see that. Well, that was from Jeremiah, right? Very much the same timing. And so here, notice we have in our passage, take a look at it. And I'm not going to read through the whole passage first. We're going to read it as we go and walk through it. This is Ezekiel uh, 33, and look down at verse 21. We're going to see the preparation of the watchman. Now it came about in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth 
of the tenth month that the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has been taken. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came. And he opened my mouth at that time, and they came to me in the morning so that my mouth was opened and I was no longer speechless. Now, without understanding Ezekiel, we might just go, okay, this seems a pretty simple statement, but this is a pretty significant time. This is a significant situation that has happened here. Notice the refugees arrive with the word that Jerusalem had fallen. It came about in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month, that the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has fallen. And you might know or remember that in chapter 24, Ezekiel was told to write down the date. To write down the date. Look at Ezekiel 24, verses 1 and 2. Ezekiel 24, verses 1 and 2. And to the word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth of the month, saying, Son of man, write the name of the day, this very day, the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. That's the day that the siege began. And then we have here that it is now 23 months later from this day, that we have these refugees coming. Now, the siege was 18 months, but it took them five months to get from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the refugees have arrived. It says here, Now it came about in the, tenth, to the twelfth year of the exile, in the fifth of the tenth month, that the refugees from Jerusalem came to me, saying, The city has been taken. So a year-and-a-half siege, a brutal, bloody uh, siege, and then five months after it fell uh, for the refugees to get to Babylon to bring the news. And all along those years, Ezekiel was saying that this would happen with no response from those prophesied to, with no response. The city has been taken. You see, God does what he says he's going to do. And the beginning of Ezekiel clearly laid forth what was going to happen from that very first vision of Christ on the throne in chapter 1, above the cherubim, acting in perfect harmony, those cherubim acting in perfect harmony to do the Lord's will, and then Christ coming from the north, symbolizing uh, what he will use, which is Babylon from the north, to bring about his discipline upon his own people. And it all comes to pass because God's word is sure and God's word is true. Now notice uh, Ezekiel was being prepared uh, by the Lord to accept this news. The Lord was doing something. He was working on him. Look at verse 22. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came. Before the refugees came. Now, we don't know what this fully means, but obviously God was making Ezekiel aware that something would happen. His hand was heavy upon him. Uh, his intensifying hand was heavy upon Ezekiel. And we've, we've had this happen where, you know, we're, we're not, not saying God is speaking to us apart from his word. He speaks through his word. But we feel prompted to pray for someone or whatever it might be. Something's going on. God is putting on our hearts things. And later on, we come back and realize, wow, God was prompting us to pray for a circumstance or whatever it might be. God's hand was heavy 
upon him that evening before the refugees came. Before the refugees came. And then notice, middle of verse 22, what happens? This is very significant. And he opened my mouth at that time, at the time they came to me in the morning, and my, so my mouth was opened and I was no longer speechless. So after a difficult night, uh, in the morning, at that time, refugees came. At that time. And here we see that something happens. It's something amazing, that Ezekiel's mouth is opened. You might remember what happened back in chapter 3, that Ezekiel, I keep saying Israel, that Ezekiel was made dumb, and he was only able to speak the things that God had said he wanted him to speak to the Israelites. Boy, that's good for preachers, right? (laughs) Good, good. If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 26, notice what will happen here. And this is when this happens. Ezekiel 3, verse 26. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be dumb and cannot be as a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So back then, years back, uh, we have uh, the Lord making him dumb. And you might remember I, I, I mentioned this in chapter 24, that uh, the day that the siege began, we had that earlier, we saw that. But also in chapter 24, Ezekiel's wife was taken away in judgment for her sin, for her sin. And it was said in advance that Ezekiel's mouth would be opened as a sign. Look at uh, chapter 24 in the middle of verse 25. When I take from them, this is God speaking of of Judah in, in Jerusalem. When I take from them their stronghold, the joy of their pride, the desire of their eyes, and the heart's delight, their sons and their daughters... This is when God destroys their temple of their pride and takes their children on the day they they escape. Notice verse 26, that on that day he who escapes will come to you, talking about coming to Ezekiel, with information for your ears. On that day your mouth will be opened to him who escaped, and you will speak and be dumb no longer. Thus you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. This day has come. This day has come. The siege began. He says, hey, but when it's over, when they come, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be dumb anymore. Your mouth's going to be opened. And that is what happens here. So the day has come. Jerusalem has fallen. The temple's been destroyed. The survivors have come. They recount the fall uh, to the exiles. And Ezekiel's mouth is opened after a difficult night. This is a huge sign. End of verse 22, back in verse 30, chapter 33. And he opened my mouth at the time they came to me in the morning, so my mouth was opened and I was no longer speechless. So this is a transition in the book. Ezekiel's ministry has changed from warning about Jerusalem's fall to warning scattered survivors and fellow exiles in his midst. Okay, it's changing. It's changing. And notice the Lord uh, calls the watchman here to address those who are self-deceived. 
self-deceived, those who hold to God's promises and yet hold on to their sin. Some people hold on to God's promises. They got Bible verses. They, they, they claim them. They claim the gospel, whatever it might be. And yet they hold on to their sin. And that's a danger. That's a danger. It's an eternal danger. Look at verse 23, back in Ezekiel 33. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, they who live in these waste places, that's speaking of the, the, the remains of Judah and Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's just shambles in the land are saying Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, uh, the land has been given as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood in it. You lift up your eyes to idols. You shed blood as you shed blood. Should you possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? Thus you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in waste places will fall by the sword, and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and in the caves will die of pestilence. And I shall make the land a desolation and waste, and, a pri- and the pride of her power will cease. And the mountains of Israel will be, will be desolate, so that no one will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations which they have committed. Wow. There's nothing new under the sun. There are so many people. I mentioned 65% of of America believes the gospel in a sense. At least they would say they believe in Jesus. They would say they're Christians and yet they live like hell. And yet they live like hell. There's nothing new under the sun. Are they going to make it to heaven? Are these Jews going to make it? Well, we certainly read about what was going to happen to them, right? You see, he reveals their wicked mindset that they could hold to a promise of God and continue in their flagrant, blatant sin and their fragrant blatant sin and this is back in 20 then the word of the lord came to me saying son of man those who live in waste places in the land are saying abraham was only one yet he possessed the land so to us who who are many the land has been given as a possession man these guys haven't heard a thing the prophets have been sharing jeremiah was sharing over and over again judgment 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 you're going to be exiled judgment judgment it's happened, and they still think they're going to claim the land. And they're making an, an analogy, thinking, well, Abraham was one, and he got the land. Wow, we're many. Of course we're going to get it. Of course we'll possess it. Wow, that's pretty self-deceived, as we're going to see. Pretty self-deceived. They were using Abraham as an illustration of God's faithfulness to his promises, and in that felt because of that, that they would receive the land because they were many. Wow, that's warped view. You see, if you think you can have the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ and you can hold on to your sin and keep going, then you are claiming a promise that does not apply to you because repentance for the forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed throughout the earth. The reality is Jesus saves us from our sins. He doesn't allow us to continue in our sins. And so these Jews are greatly deceived. And so notice, you think you're going to possess eternal life? You think you're going to possess this? 
Uh, hopefully you are not self-deceived like them. Hopefully you've recognized. Now, I'm not saying we don't sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. But we are those who have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But these here are those who are claiming the promise of God that they're going to have the land, but they are continuing in their sin. And God is saying, you think this is going to happen? No way. No way. And the same applies to anyone who claims a promise of God and continues in their sin. Therefore, say to them, verse 25, thus says the Lord, you eat meat with the blood in it. You lift up your eyes to idols as you shed blood. Should you possess the land? Uh, the, 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 the answer here, you could translate it this way. You eat meat with the blood in it, lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood, and the land you should inherit? Uh, well, we know the implied answer there. The answer is no. Uh, they're disobeying the covenant they made with God. God made a covenant with Israel. It was a covenant, and they agreed to it. But within that covenant, if you had a heart that was changed and you trusted God by faith, he enabled you to obey. If you had a circumcised heart. But they tried to fulfill these things on their own. And then here, at this point, they didn't even care about obeying God's word because they didn't have changed hearts. And so they would eat the meat with blood in it. They would lift up their eyes to idols. They're saying, hey, you guys continue in your sin. You continue to disobey me. Should you inherit the land? The implication is absolutely not. You lift up your eyes to your idols. You see, we're going to see and we're going to be reminded that Israel, until the exile, was very idolatrous. All the way from, you'll see that starting in in, in, uh, in, in, in Judges. You see that moving on. Yes, they would call on the Lord when things are bad and God was faithful to his word, but they were idolaters. And then later on, after the exile, we're going to see after Nehemiah and that, we're going to see after they got, came back, Israel was no longer idolaters, but they became self-righteous. And they had a faith not in the Lord, but a faith in their ability to keep God's commands, which is so uh, contradictory to the reality of salvation. So then here we see their wickedness. You lift up your eyes to idols, you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? The answer is implied, no way. God's promises don't apply to you. You're not God's. And that's evidenced by your actions. You know, these people had been around when the prophets had been sharing, Jeremiah sharing over and over and over and over again to repent from these very things, very things. Should you possess the land? And they claimed biblical promises of inheriting the land. God did promise the land, didn't he? He sure did. Promised it to Abraham. Promised it to Abraham that it would be, uh, he would have a multitude of seed. And, and then in his seed, speaking of Christ, all the nations will be blessed. And there would be the possession of the land. Yes, that is a promise. But here, you, you, you continue in your sin. You're not changed. That promise does not apply to you, God is saying. Rather, you're going to be judged. Look at verse uh, 26. You rely on the sword. You commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? Their, their swords, uh, really, they trust in themselves. You rely on your own swords. Maybe these guys kind of made it through, you know, the, 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 the destruction of everything because they were handy with the sword. They didn't get destroyed. Well, they're going to be destroyed, by the way. Um, you rely on yourself. Now, if you were lying yourself continually and habitually, do you think you're going to heaven? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. You must rely on Jesus Christ completely for salvation. And once you've done that, he's going to change your heart, and you're going to be relying on him uh, in your day-to-day walk. So you rely on your sword, you commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? You're, You're living in rampant sin. Should you possess it? And the answer is no way. No way. But these people, they didn't get it. They didn't get it because God has judged the land for sin in accordance with his word. And these who remain are in waste places. They're in waste. Some people's lives are in shambles. They're in waste places claiming to follow Jesus Christ. And they continue in their sin and they think they're fine with God. It's not the case. It's not the case. These people don't get it. They are self-deceived. They are self-deceived. And I pray none of you are self-deceived that you can claim the promise of salvation of Jesus Christ and never have repented of your sins, never have turned to Jesus uh, truly uh, as a child, believing in him, that you need him for salvation, that you need forgiveness of sins, that you need it. There's a lot of passages that talk about this, but there's a lot of warnings in the New Testament about not being self-deceived. You know, I think of these passages, I think of these liberal denominations that let sin run rampant. They just say, hey, come as you are and stay as you are, right? Don't change, just come on in, right? Well, we change because of Jesus Christ. But we have these passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is a wonderful passage because it tells us both sides of the story. It tells us what happens to those who don't repent, but it also tells us what happens to those who who do, those who do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, got a lot of that these days, um, uh, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you are still identified by your sin because you're still continuing in it, just like you did before you supposedly got saved, if that is you, you're not going to inherit it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived because God hasn't changed you because you haven't been saved. And then he goes on yet, which is wonderful. He says, and such some of you were. They were homosexual. They were effeminate. They were those things. But they were saved and they were changed. Believe me, when you get saved, you get convicted of your sin. And you go, and you don't want to do it anymore. You may be tempted, but you don't want to. You don't want to do it anymore. And God changes you and he starts to make you more like Christ. He says, and such some of you were, uh, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Wonderful passage for the hope for any sinner in any sin, right? In any sin. I turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We have similar portion here, similar portion. We're not to be deceived. We have these statements, do not be deceived. That means there are deceivers out there who are saying you can continue in your sin and be just fine with God. And that's what they were doing in Israel, by the way, those false prophets. They were saying, by the way, you can look at Jeremiah 23, they were saying peace and safety. Everything's good with God. There's no judgment coming. Peace and safety. Just continue the way you're going. You are fine, right? Well, that's evil and it's wrong. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty. You don't see this in those liberal denominations, by the way. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. God's wrath comes upon all of mankind who is in their sin. God's wrath is being piled up and it will come upon them for their sins. The wages of sin is death. But God sent his son Jesus in our place and he bore the cup of God's wrath on the cross and if you are willing to acknowledge truly your sin and humble yourself and come to Jesus Christ, he will save you. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How about uh, 1 John chapter 3? We read this earlier in our service, 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Man, that's a, that's a theme there, right? There are deceivers out there. You can continue in your sin and you're good with God. No, you're not good with God. It may be an evidence you don't know him. It may be an evidence you don't know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices, or literally means does continually, habitually. Uh, practice means doing. You know, when you practice baseball, you're doing it over and over again, right? Practicing means doing. And that's what that word poieo means in Greek. He who does continually, habitually. Doesn't mean all the time, but it's a practice, right? It's a, it's a, it's a practice. He who does or practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. Very clear. Let no one deceive you, right? Little children, don't let them deceive you. We know that's the case, that, uh, that, that uh, if you practice sin, you're a sinner. And you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, but we, when we come to Christ, we're going to start to reflect the image of God. We're going to reflect that. He's going to discipline us. He's going to change us. We're not going to have the, the outward desires to go do those things and, and no shame or, 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 or conviction over that. We're not going to live that way like we used to live. Yes, we may be tempted and we may fall, but we're going to, if we confess our sins, if we are the confessors of sins, that's really what that is. If you are the confessor of sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's a change in your heart. Real believers are the confessors of sin. We're the 1 John 1, 9 people, right? That's who we are. Praise the Lord because of what he's done for us in Christ. And then look back in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Read this earlier also. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Wow, you want to know if you've come to know Jesus? God says, here's how you can know. Here is how you can know. If we keep his commandments. And that's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the law. He doesn't say it. It's the word ontali. And in, in Greek, it means commands. Later on, he's going to say my word. He's going to use it in parallel. It's okay. It says, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him. Hey, I've come to know Jesus. And does not keep his commands 
doesn't do or, or obey. The word keep means obey. Obey his, his word, his commands, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, literally obeys his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. You can know you're in him because he's changed your heart to want to obey him. And you feel horrible when you disobey. Yes, there's that temptation and, and we fall into sin, whatever it might be, but we are convicted and we don't want to do it. We want to do the right thing. We have the word on our hearts through the spirit of God. We want to do the right thing. You can know if you're in him, if you're obeying him or not. And the one who continually, habitually disobeys and practices unrighteousness, we see here is not him. Now, we don't know the heart. We're not the judgers of other people. This is for us to judge ourselves, folks. This is for us to judge ourselves. Okay, and so if you are one like um, those who believe you're going to heaven claiming his promises but are living like hell, uh, the Lord might be saying to you, you're not who you think you are. Remember what the Lord told um, those cities who most of the miracles had been done in? Uh, Matthew, let's turn there. Matthew 11, Matthew 11. Then he began, this is verse 20, to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. You see, when you see the truth that God is in your midst, the miracles affirming who he is, God the Son, and he's telling you to repent and you don't repent, you're in big trouble, right? Uh, Jesus, in, in, in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And later on, he'll say it in verse 23, And you, Capernaum, that's one of those cities, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? They thought they were going to heaven. They thought they are going to go to heaven. Will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. The issue is repentance. It is a change of mind which will reflect in a change of behavior. If you change your mind about your own sin, your behavior is going to change. Now, if you haven't truly changed your mind, you just you truly don't see it from God's perspective, then that's not repentance. But when we see sin and judgment from God's perspective, we change our minds, we realize the detrimental circumstances we're in and how we have sinned against God, we turn to him for salvation, we are by his grace to Jesus Christ saved. So back to Ezekiel 33. Back to Ezekiel 33. So you can know this with certainty that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you stay in your sins. And that's basically what's happening here. Should you possess the land in light of your sin? No way. No way. And so this really points out uh, the self-deception of the Jews. And maybe some of you are living in waste places. Your lives are a shambles. You claim to follow Jesus Christ. Your lives are so messed up. There's so much sin. You claim to follow Jesus Christ. You claim the promises, but yet you have never turned from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Be forgiven. And he'll change your heart and he'll change your life. He'll change your life. Well, they're going to be judged. Notice this group here. Thus you shall say to the Lord, verse 27, Ezekiel 33, Thus you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in waste places will fall by the sword, and whoever is in open field I will give to the beast to be devoured, 
and those who are in the strongholds and in the caves will die of pestilence. And I shall make the land of desolation and a waste, and the pride of her power will cease, and the mountains of Israel will be desolate, so that no one will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I make the land of desolation and a waste, because of all their abominations which they have committed. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. So those who escape this initial judgment are living in waste places. Those who think they're pretty good with the sword, they rely on it, they're going to die by the sword. Uh, those um, who are, who are uh, uh, in the land there, in the desolation, or in the open field, they're going to be given over to the beasts. And then we have those who are, who are hiding in the caves or whatever it might be in the strongholds. Uh, they're going to have pestilence. That's, that's a wasting disease, a wasting disease. He says, I shall make it a desolation. And remember what uh, the Lord said earlier in Ezekiel 33. Look back at verse 11. So say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? God's heart is always that he would relent if you would repent, and he will. He tells you that the judgment coming, and he will bring it about. But he will relent if you will repent. God is a gracious, gracious God. We know uh, from Psalm 7 uh, very clearly that uh, if a man does not repent, he, speaking of God, will sharpen his sword. If you don't repent, God gives you a chance to repent, to repent, to, to change your mind about your sin and God's righteous judgment upon you for it and to turn to God, to escape the wrath to come, to escape it through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Folks, when God has made up his uh, mind to judge you, you're in a bad place. And here it's very evident that they have gone past that line, and he is going to judge them. Their death in judgment is assured. It's assured. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to his spirit shall reap eternal life. Uh, let no one deceive you, Ephesians 5, with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon uh, the sons of disobedience. So you need to repent. Unless you repent, you will die in your sins. Uh, Luke chapter 13, unless you repent. There were some people talking to Jesus about uh, uh, Pilate who had mingled the blood with sacrifices and stuff. And, and Jesus said to them, uh, do not suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all of the Galileans who suffered that fate. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Very serious. Repent. Jesus proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. So then result is God's judgment. Notice what he says back in 33, verse 29, then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Over 63 times in the book of Ezekiel, uh, in some way, shape, or fashion, this phrase has been brought forth. Then they will know that I am the Lord. You see, you come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord through two means. Either through salvation, 
where we believe through the conviction of the gospel that he is the Lord and we trust in him, we come to the knowledge, we know he's the Lord and we thoroughly are thankful and praise him for that. Or you will know that Jesus is the Lord when judgment comes upon you. When your eternal judgment comes, there will be no doubt in your mind that he is the Lord. You will know that he is the Lord. Don't let it get to that point. If you, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Not harden your hearts. So then it's the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord through judgment here. Through judgment here. You see, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's either through salvation or judgment. You're going to know and you're going to acknowledge. You know the term know, you acknowledge, right? You're going to acknowledge through the true knowledge that he's the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But some of you call him Lord right now, but yet you don't do what he says. Some of you call him Lord, Lord, and that's some of the problems here. Uh, Jesus would say in Luke 6, 36, or 43, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Very simple question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Matthew 7, we're pretty familiar with this. I'm not going to read it, but uh, we're to beware of false prophets. Uh, we know a fruit by its trees. Uh, and not everyone, Jesus says, who comes says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. He's going to tell those who are still in their sin, depart from me, you who practice, what? Who practice lawlessness. You do it over and over again. You're not saved from your sins yet. You're not saved. So then we have these uh, who think they're following the Lord, but they are deluded hearers. They're deluded hearers because they don't obey him. And if you don't obey him continually, habitually, I, I posit to say based on God's word, not my opinion, that you are deluded here. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Turn and be saved. So you think you're following Jesus. Well, a changed heart brings about a changed life. Not perfectly. We're the confessors of sin. We're those who are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now notice he goes on to address another group of people. Another group of people, and this group of people is among the exiles. This group loves to hear sermons. They love it, but they don't do it, and they're going to hell. Very interesting. Look at uh, verse 30. But as for you, son of man, you are your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways and of the houses. Speak to one another, each of his brothers, saying, Come now and hear what the messenger, what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. Hey, that sounds pretty good initially, right? And they come to you as a people and sit down before you as my people. They, they identify with the Lord and they hear your words, but they do not what? Do them. It says here, For they do lust, the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after gain. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and who plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. That's continually, habitually do. So when it comes to pass, surely... It will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. 
So first of all, Ezekiel is to say these stinging warnings as a watchman to those who are living in waste places in Israel, that warning. And now there is a warning as the watchman to those who fancy biblical truth. They love it. They love true sermons, true messages from the Lord. It's like a it's like a concert to them. It's like a sweet song. It's like an instrument being played well, being played well. But they haven't been changed. They don't do what God says. He says, "But as for you, uh, son of man, your fellow citizens who walk up, who talk about you by the walls, the doorways of houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now, and hear what the message is which comes from the mouth of the Lord." Ezekiel has been sharing for eight years. We don't see much about any response. Now, it's happened. Jerusalem has fallen. Everything Ezekiel said happened. And these guys are all tantalized by it. Let's go hear from the mouth of the Lord, from Ezekiel. He's the guy. He's the guy. The message which comes from the mouth of the Lord. They speak, they talk about by the walls and the doorways and the houses. Each one to his brother. Did you hear about Ezekiel? Man. He's got a message from the Lord. It is good. You've got to hear it. You ever hear about Ezekiel? It's good. It's really good. So hear that message. Man, he's a great preacher. The word is awesome. Ezekiel is awesome. Right? Well, they're talking back and forth, right? And they come to you, look at this, verse 21, as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words. They come to church. They sit down as God's people to hear God's word. This is really important. They come as his people. But notice, and they come to you as people come, sit down before you and hear your words. End of verse 31, but they do not do them. The key evidence that you have been saved by Jesus Christ, that you are God's people, is that you have a changed heart which reflects in changed behavior that Christ does through you when you trust and abide in Jesus Christ, his word abiding in you. You're going to be changed. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you trust in him. There's going to be a change in your life. But these people, they like God's word. They like they, they think it's great to come listen to Ezekiel. They're not bored. They're not, uh, you know, yawning and going to sleep during the sermon. They want to hear God's word. They want to hear God's word. But they don't do them. They come and sit as God's people. And then he says here, the end of verse 31, there's an explanation. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after gain. Simply put, they seek their own desire. They come to church, hear the message, but the rest of their life is seeking their own desire and will. That's all it is. Live their life their way, their own desires. Christ is not the Lord of their lives. They are the Lord, and they seek after for their own gain. Their own gain. They're like those who sit under good preaching, good and faithful men, all claiming to be truly his, but yet they do not do what God says through his word, through these men. Instead, they follow their own desires, all the while seeming to be those who are the Lord's and love his word. This is not talking about those who go to churches that would tickle your ears. This is talking about people that go to hear the word of God preached from God's guy. Ezekiel was God's guy. Ezekiel was God's guy, and he was sharing God's word. 
folks, I've seen this many times. People who come and rejoice in God's word being rightly divided, and yet when their own personal sin is addressed, they don't obey. And by the way, it's usually at that point when confronted, they leave and go look for another biblical church to be excited by. To be excited by. They claim to be the Lord's. They want to hear good teaching. Inevitably, these people uh, are hearing it for their own enjoyment and pleasure, not to be changed by Christ. Kind of weird. They would love God's word and not be changed They are like those in James who are evident of a heart problem. They hear the word of God, but they forget it. They are forgetful hearers because their hearts are not changed. They are not changed. They have wicked hearts. And look at verse 32. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice. I'm trying to think of an artist like that, some lady that's singing this song. You know, a sensual song with someone who has a beautiful voice. You're like a performer to them. They love it. They love it. And plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. What insight into the heart of the deluded here? What insight into the heart of the deluded here? Elders and those who will be elders, pastors, we need to understand this. There are those who will love the word, rightly being brought forth, but yet it is only to fulfill their own desires. Uh, They don't have changed hearts, therefore they don't do what God says through those who are teaching it. And God wants Ezekiel to know this, and God wants us to know this, to know this. Indeed, we've had many who have come through here who are tantalized by the expository verse-by-verse preaching, uh, but it does not reflect, reflect in their lives in obedience. And I'm amazed that those who most vocally praised the preaching were those who most vocally backstabbed when their sin was exposed. When their sin was exposed. The reality is there are those in whom the person preaching and teaching the Word of God, like Ezekiel, could be like a performer to them a beautiful performance that they really enjoy, but they don't obey the word. They don't practice him. It is a deadly place to hear the word of God and not be saved and to enjoy it and not be saved. You are heaping judgment upon yourself. You are heaping it upon yourself. You know, I want to be reproved. God's word reproves me. I I want to be changed. I, I, I want to be more like Jesus. You know, God through his word shows me I'm not there yet shows me I need him desperately all the time. Uh, And if you just come to delight in the word in a perverted way and you don't do it, you walk out of here and it hasn't changed your heart, something is really, really, really wrong. Now notice uh, the result for the deluded here. Verse 33, so when it comes to pass. So talking about the message that Ezekiel is bringing forth of judgment. When it comes to pass, now it's going to come to pass on them. When judgment happens on them, those who think they're fine, enjoy the the, the sermon, enjoy the the show, percents, and you know whatever it might be, they enjoy that as a show more 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 clearly. Uh, But when God's judgment comes to pass on them, then they will know what they heard was from God. Look at this passage. Then they will know a prophet, and that's God's prophet, has been. In their midst. When it comes to pass, surely it will. God's word will come forth, it will come to pass. The wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. Uh, there is eternal punishment for sin. There is the second death, uh, the lake of fire. When it comes to pass, if you are like this, you will surely know that the word that you delighted in but didn't obey was true. Was true. And a prophet, that it was God's spokesman, a prophet in this context, Ezekiel, that was speaking to you. Game over. It's done. Don't get to this point. If you are, if you hear his voice, you're convicted of your sin, repent and believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. There will be a day when those who delight in the performance of those who faithfully brought the word forth and did not do what was said because they weren't changed, there's a day when they will know that God was speaking through that person as Ezekiel and he brought about what he said he would do and they've entered into judgment. Serious stuff. Preaching is not just to fill your flesh. There's people who want, they get a fleshy excitement out of good preaching. Don't ever be that way. We hear God's word to hear God and to be changed by him. For those maybe listening on the radio in the future, for those who have been, who have even left, a lot of them, delighted in the word, uh, yet continued in sin, there's a day when you'll know that God was speaking his word and you're in deep trouble unless you repent. Unless you repent. God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't take pleasure in judging you. He doesn't take pleasure that you know him as the Lord through judgment. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather you would repent and live. Will you do that? Will you repent and live? Will you acknowledge your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness? So you think you're following Jesus. Are you following him? Are you claiming promises? The real key to all of this is you don't obey him. If you live a life of discontinual, habitual disobedience, I'm not talking about falling here and there, we all fall, but a continual, habitual disobedience, then I would say based on God's word, you are in serious trouble. And I would encourage you to repent and trust in Christ for salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There are those who claim the promises of the gospel, claim God's promises, and you live like hell. Do you think you're going to go to heaven? The reality is you're not going to unless you are saved by Jesus Christ. Turn to him now. Then those of us who are believers, this is serious stuff. It's serious stuff. It's serious stuff to sin is serious. It brings God's judgment. And we need to heighten our awareness and fear of God concerning sin, personal sin, but also even the sin of others that we might share the good news of deliverance from the consequences, the eternal consequences of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would uh, convict those who fall into what we've heard today, that they might truly turn and be saved. Pray for that, Lord. We know it's you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they would repent and live. And Father, for those of us who are saved, thank you so much that you have saved us. May we have a heightened sense of what sin brings and had brought us, that what we were delivered from. 
Lord God, may we have a heightened sense of your holiness and turn and trust in your Son more and more. May we confess uh, sooner, Lord God. May we desire to walk and obey your word. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.